0: Hello and welcome to Pioneering People. I'm Morvan McIntyre and this is a podcast series where we will talk to some of the most innovative entrepreneurs, people who have paved their own way and become pioneers in their industry. This week our guest is Scottish entrepreneur Peter Proud, the founder and CEO of Cortex Worldwide.
1: But Even if you fail, you've not really failed because you've learned and you're better next time. So I don't see failure as a failure. I see failure as an opportunity to learn and be better for the next time.
0: Cortex Worldwide is an entrepreneurial company Peter set up six years ago to deliver digital marketing solutions for companies throughout the world. Peter also sits on the Digital Directory Advisory Board for the Scottish Government. Prior to finding Cortex Worldwide, Peter enjoyed a dynamic career at some of the world's leading technology companies, including IBM, Microsoft and Accenture. Peter worked in areas spanning across sales, client satisfaction and software deployment, and has won awards for his work. Today, I'll be talking to Peter about why patience is a virtue when it comes to starting a business and why he thinks going carbon neutral is the way forward. So stay tuned for all of that. But first, this episode is brought to you in association with JPI Media Local. If you run a local business or startup and want to get your message out to potential customers, JPI Media Local can help. Through their network of online and print use brands across the UK, JPI Media Local have helped thousands of businesses put their ads in front of the right people in the right place with the right message. To start making lasting connections with local customers, visit jpimedialocal.co.uk or call 0207-0849-134 and speak to a local marketing expert today. Now on with the show. I'm pleased to say that our guest is Peter Proud. Hi, Peter. Hi hello. Before we get into your business background tell us something about what the young Peter was like and what led you down the tech path. Uh,
1: I think it was kind of twofold one one of my friends was a little bit older uh, and we all went canoeing together and he uh, kind of he was driving around in a (laughs) Porsche and uh, so he kind of was in IT early on his name was Ian Fraser and so I kind of saw that there was a kind of good career opportunity there financially i saw that firsthand you know because we were we were all in a a canoeing club together and he was maybe seven or eight years older than us so that kind of gave us something to aspire to be and i think the other side is i was always kind of curious and i was very interested in engineering so kind of software engineering you know right back in the early days with you know ZX spectrum ZX 81 yeah i was i was interested in it i was interested in computing. And uh, it was just something that fascinated me from a very very early age. I mean, that, that was the, the, the days of kind of cassette players and floppy disks and, you know, how the world's changed.
0: So what did you study at university? Was it ICT or technology?
1: So to, to begin with, I actually went through an apprenticeship myself. So I started as an apprentice and then I ended up going through, you know, the kind of de- degree qualifications. I did computer science. I started off with Marconi's. So did electronics, computer science, did an apprenticeship, then went into uh, into university, and then I went into in, into IBM, then Microsoft.
0: You started off working for IBM as an account manager. Why did that job interest you?
1: I like solving problems for for people. I think everyone thinks of technology as kind of. You know, computer programming and writing lines of code and, and in very commas, something that's quite geeky, but actually it's a very interactive thing. So anything to do with people and solving problems and helping people, you know, make their business better, you know, through the use of software, that was something that really interested and excited me.
0: You worked at Microsoft for a long time, spanning over 17 years. What did you start off doing at Microsoft and how did that then lead you to working on the One Microsoft Initiative?
1: So, yeah, so I mean, one of the great things about working for a company like Microsoft is you get to move around doing lots of different jobs. So, my, my first role at Microsoft, I, I looked after education. For Northern Ireland and uh, North of England and Scotland. So we we were responsible for getting Microsoft technologies into the schools and universities. So it was all about giving access to youngsters. The youngsters had access to Microsoft tools and technologies. So I started there and then I moved over to financial services. So I worked in the financial services. So I worked extensively on our Royal Bank of Scotland. So I was the account manager for Royal Bank of Scotland, both for RBS, NatWest, Ulster Citizens. So we, we did lots of big projects there. Then I went on to do a strategy role so I looked after uh, Microsoft EMEA for retail banking and then I went over to manufacturing so I was working with Unilever and then as part of the engagement with Unilever and this was like 2006 by this point uh, Unilever uh, CIO asked me if I could facilitate a meeting whereby the CIO and the CMO were working together so I actually was able to get uh, Bill Gates to do a, a tour session on a connected consumer so I took 10 of the top technologists and the top marketeers to Seattle And we did a a meeting around about the connected consumer and and things like, you know, what did MSN mean for a company like Unilever? What does an Xbox mean for something like Unilever? You know, in-game advertising, that kind of stuff. And then from there, we, we ended up doing quite big deals with Unilever across different parts of Microsoft. And that led to the one Microsoft initiative whereby I had to get 89 product teams in one room. And uh, everyone told everyone else what they all did. And then from there, we kind of went and worked out a strategy, uh, how we could actually sell more efficiently across Microsoft, bearing in mind all of the products we had at our disposal.
0: And you've mentioned Bill Gates. So did you have a working relationship with him?
1: So I wouldn't go as far as in you know, a working relationship, but you know, we, we kind of knew who each other were and uh, obviously I knew who he was better than he who, who I was, but uh, I, I did several meetings with him. And so, you know, I would kind of go and brief him and take him into client meetings and we would sit and come up with ideas together, but I didn't, you know, we know each other. We did a few meetings together, but I wouldn't claim to be his best friend, <laughs> you know.
0: At Microsoft, you were instrumental in joining IT with marketing. So why was it important to connect these two departments together?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, right? This is this is the kind of inflection point. And, and this was the foundation of our company. This is where the idea from our company came from. So it's all about, you know, so you've got big organizations like Unilever, you know, any company in the world you want to mention, you know, it's all about consumer engagement and how do you speak and communicate across multi-channels. So basically, you know, you've got access to digital and different source of media. And it was all about how do you maximize that engagement? So you're using technology to... Share the message. So it was all about creating rich media experiences, being able to deploy them across lots of different channels, being able to analyze the output and the conversion or the interaction or the customer satisfaction. And then from that data, being able to optimize the experience and then start the closed loop again. So it was all about create, deploy, analyze, optimize, and just. Take relevant stories and experiences to consumers, so that they were able to make informed decisions on what they wanted to buy through what they like.
0: After Microsoft, you were then headhunted for Accenture as a senior executive, and so you had a senior role at Accenture. So, what made you want to take the risk and set up your own business? Uh, it's kind
1: of, I think one of the things is important. So how, how it worked was I went to Accenture, had a pretty senior role there. I was a senior partner in Accenture. I went back to Microsoft again once we kind of really understood what we were going to do and we understood this and I wanted to partner with Microsoft. But I mean, I didn't see it as a risk. I think the thing in life is you regret the things you don't do rather than the things you do do. So, you know, what was the worst that could happen? You kind of set something up. It doesn't quite work. Uh, we're still employable. You just go and get another job or you start something else. I mean, I've always believed that you know what's for you won't go by you. So, if you're going to, if you've got an idea or you want to do something, just do it. The worst thing that can happen is you kind of fail. But even if you fail, you've not really failed because you've learned and you're better next time. So, I don't see failure as a failure. I see failure as an opportunity to learn and be better for the next time.
0: And so, you mentioned there having that idea. So, where did you come up with the initial idea for Cortex Worldwide?
1: It was just by kind of engaging with lots of different people, seeing, understanding what the industry. Was looking for understanding what was there already understand what was missing understanding where microsoft was going with the cloud and seeing an opportunity that so find microsoft's a platform company and it's built an amazing cloud solution through azure but it's not an application company when it comes to different services for different kind of companies and so we saw the opportunity to build a really cool application that sat on top of the microsoft azure infrastructure or service i'd rather say service and infrastructure because what we built is software as a service yeah, so I saw the opportunity to build a new way of doing things using using the full benefits of a new cloud environment that had just been available to the world.
0: And for those of us who aren't tech minded, explain in simple terms what Cortex Worldwide does and who are your customers. So,
1: basically what we built is a a way of switching on lots of services that customers use or we would do for you a uh, a set of services to build big, secure, scalable websites, and that sounds quite simple. And um, if you are looking to do a deployment or a campaign whereby you want to go live across Brazil and China and Australia and Europe and North America, all at the same time, and that's actually quite difficult to do in the old world. So, you know, because we've leveraged the kind of software as a service environment using Azure, we've got an instant access to all those resources globally. So, so essentially we've got the ability to create rich media websites, to deploy them at speed at scale, to analyze them and see how they're performing and how the interactions are going and then ultimately if you know optimize them depend on you know if something's successful or not and change them quickly you know to give give the customers what they want and help them you know get their their message out there
0: and is it difficult to make these websites secure with lots of modern day threats to cybersecurity? is that quite a challenge for the industry I
1: mean, it's a challenge for everybody. So we, we've architected our solution from day one to be absolutely secure. So we've been working with consultants who, you know, who are some of the top hackers in the world who present at conferences like everything Everything's being tested to death. We've decoupled our environment. So the editing piece and the bits that control the website aren't actually on the web. So to actually hack into our websites is, you know, very difficult to do. Everything's got multi-factor authentication on it. And, you know, we've followed all of best practices. I mean, Microsoft spends over a billion dollars a year on security. So we've adhered to all of the security standards of Microsoft. And we've we've leveraged all of the the great security tools that Microsoft provide us. So, you know, we, we're not a blase and think we're absolutely secure and no one can hackers. What you what, what you have to do is be absolutely diligent and paranoid and make sure you put in all the checks and balances you can do to make sure that you're providing secure services for your clients.
0: You used to work for Microsoft and now they're one of your clients. I suppose that's quite unique. And is it quite strange having them as a client when you used to work for them? So I don't
1: think that I'm sorry, I you no contradiction here. I, I don't think it's that unique. I mean, I was at a partner event yesterday where there was lots of Microsoft Partners, and these are people that were ex Microsoft employees who are now partnering with companies that are selling to Microsoft and with Microsoft. So we have two relationships with Microsoft: one is them as a big client of ours, and two as a big partner. So we're actually going into other clients together. So we, you know, we've just won Tesco Bank, and we jointly worked with Microsoft to win that. So I think one of the things that's important and people need to understand is, you know, your your um, your network lasts with for you forever, be it good or bad. So you know, as you go through your career, make sure you can build the best networks you can. Because that relationship will be there for a long time and and you never know, you know, when you're going to have to run into somebody or you're going to have to do a piece of work with somebody that you've worked with in the past. So always make sure you maintain a great network and actually, you know, build, doesn't have to necessarily be friendships, but but build relationships around about respect and, you know, the fact that you've demonstrated you can deliver.
0: And interestingly, you didn't source your money from investors uh, to set up Cortex. Instead, you gained clients such as Microsoft and Dyson first. So why was it important for you to develop your product first instead of going to investors initially? So we were
1: we were quite we were quite lucky in the, the fact that we started the company as a joint venture with with a big organization and and then we did a management buyout. And by the time we did the management buyout, we were we, we were at a scale whereby we had money coming in. We had to leverage a little bit, a little bit of investment to do the management buyout, but we've not had to use any investment to actually run or build the company. And that's really important. And we, we are so fortunate to be in this position. I've watched lots of startups and all they seem to be focused on is how to get their next round of investment. And I actually think that what they should be focused on is actually, you know, working out what their service and the proposition is for customers. Go out and actually win those clients, start to get proper revenues in place so that they can actually then scale their business organically themselves instead of actually necessarily always going down the investor route. I mean, everything's caveated, you know, but if you can do that and we've been lucky enough to get ourselves to this point without actually going and doing any rounds of investment.
0: Initially, Cortex Worldwide was a joint venture, but I understand you bought out your joint venture. Why did you decide to do that? So
1: relationships are interesting. We we, we were part of a great organization and we are part of WPP. You know, it's a very successful marketing organization, but, you know, it, it runs its business very differently from the way software companies run. So, you know, they, they are all about utilization and leveraging staff to actually do services for their clients, whereas we were focused on using our staff to build software. So, you know, it depends on the kind of investment type and cycles of, you know, organizations and our model and what we were trying to do didn't fit in with their strategy. So, you know, we were fortunate, fortunate enough that they gave us the opportunity to do a management buyout and we bought bought the company away from WPP and we're now a standalone entity. You know, we realized very quickly they, they you know, they are not, they, they didn't want to kind of do long-term investments in companies like ours. And that's one thing I've, I've learned, right? This has taken us five and a half years to get to the point of really launching and scaling. So one of the things I would say if, if anyone's going, going into this, you know, patience is something that they have to learn because it's going to take a lot longer than they think. You know, I would imagine, you know, WPP would have probably wanted to return after a year or two and what we were doing. But if you're building enterprise software, that's not possible. So, you, you know, if you're going into a partnership, you need to kind of be very clear with them that you're in it for the long term. And if, it, you know, and staff changed. So the person who was the... The CEO of the division that we were part of in WPP changed and he was our sponsor. So once the sponsor was gone, then, you know, the people that were there uh, that remained wanted, to, wanted us to buy the company from them. So it's, you know, it's not a negative, it's just a kind of point in time. And if it's not right, you know, it's not right and you move on.
0: You've grown your business from one employee to 38 employees, even winning Apprentice Employer of the Year in 2018. What do you think as an employer you offer employees? So I think,
1: you know, there's a duty of care. We focus a lot on development, personal development. You know, we, we give training, uh, we, we help people grow. I think we work in a pretty nice uh, industry uh, nice offices, good environment. And, and I think it's, it's important. I mean, one of the things that's a great thing about working for a company like Microsoft is, you know, they try their hardest to make, you know, the, the environment a great place to work. And um, so I replicate a lot of things that Microsoft does, you know, so everybody here has private medicine, everyone has whole of life cover. So if something happens to them, God forbid, if somebody was to get a stroke or something they couldn't work again, then they get, a, I can't remember exactly the percentage, um, but I think it's something like 50% or 60% of their salary for the rest of their working life or the rest of their lives. It's by making sure you've got all of the checks and balances and the right tools around, you know, your employees to give them a great working environment, uh, security, care. um, And if if things go wrong for them through through ill health or whatever, you've got a safety net there to to make their lives better.
0: And with scaling up in mind, what challenges have you encountered along the way?
1: Um, Well, there's a multitude of challenges. You know, sometimes uh, people that can look after a team of five can't necessarily look after a team of 15 so therefore, you know some sometimes people fall away that that were here, and so you know you never want to lose staff, but sometimes it's not everything in life's a point in time. So it was a good good for maybe them for one one part of the trajectory, but not another. Recruitment's hard, finding skills hard, timing's difficult. Things work comes you know, towards you when you don't know, maybe have the staff, you then potentially win a pieces, piece of work. And this has happened to us. We won a very large piece of work and that company had a very bad year. So all the budgets were slashed. So they canceled the contract. You know, we hadn't even started, but we'd went and hired the team. So, you know, it's, it's it is like a game of snakes and ladders, right? You, you do come across things that you haven't planned for, you know, you can't plan too far ahead because you know, you, you're not fortune tellers. You don't know what's going to happen. So you, you know, I think you plan for the worst and hope for the best.
0: Cortex Worldwide isn't making a profit yet, which is the reality for a lot of new businesses. So why do you think there is a misconception that if you're not making a profit, then you must be doing something wrong? Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Because so we, we aren't profitable yet because we're spending so much money in investment. You know, so we, we, we have, you know, a, a team of approximately 10 people that don't bring in any money at all for the company because they're building product and testing product and getting ready for uh, as growing our business. I mean, so it's, it's how you, you know, because there's many currencies in life. It's not just cash. So everyone always measures a business's success on cash. But, you know, over the last five and a half years, we've spent approximately 13 million pounds building our product. So the product brings you cash and cash gives you the product so it's a bit of a chicken and egg so you've got to invest you've got to speculate to accumulate so therefore the reason that we're not making a profit is because we spend so much money on getting all the marketing collateral right getting all the training for everybody right getting the product right getting the testing right getting the security right you know getting third party validation i mean we've just went through an exercise we, we use the, the the name cortex worldwide because we can't just use cortex we can't get a trademark on that we would love to but we can't and uh, so you know we, we've just we've gone we've gone through a whole process just now of renaming and rebranding the company that's expensive so you know you've got you know you know getting things like stock schemes in place for the staff all the articles changed you know all this thing all these things cost money so you know in the short term, if you're a services company and you know, all you are as a services company, then you know you can get to profit quite quickly because if you've got a person build out to a client on a daily basis, that's fine. But if you're building a product and you're actually building IP, which is where the real value lies, then you've got to invest in the start. So therefore we 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 we've lost a little bit and it's not a lot of money. We could we could become profitable overnight if we want to, just by changing some of our spend and some of our investment. But absolutely what we're focused on now is building a quality enterprise product to take to market at scale and that that costs money
0: a lot of businesses are now under scrutiny for not considering the environment enough but cortex worldwide has managed to become carbon neutral why was that important to you uh,
1: it was i mean it wasn't just important to me it's important to all our staff you know we have a young workforce and everybody cares about the environment here one thing is microsoft uh, we we as i said before we copy a lot of what they do they've just announced that they're going to be carbon negative so they've now raised the bar for us a little so we're going to have to try harder we all we don't have any data centers ourselves everything we use is you know delivered through microsoft's cloud environment so they're already you know guaranteeing that that's all carbon neutral we're in a very efficient modern office you know so we know exactly how much we use there we've changed all of our suppliers so all of our suppliers are providing us all of the utilities, carbon neutral. Uh, we monitor all of the flights that everyone in the company takes. We offset that, so we 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 pay into funds to offset any flights that anybody takes within the company. Uh, we have nil to, nil to landfill. We've got you know nobody has any bins anymore in their in their desks, and um, everything's recycled. Uh, we've got a professional facilities manager in our organization. So, you know, everything's monitored to make sure we, we we adhere to the kind of policies that we're setting out.
0: Is there anything you wish you'd known before you started Cortex that you know now?
1: Oh, my gosh. Right? How long have you got? <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's a ton of things. Right. And I've actually put together a presentation I've done a couple of times uh, on what I wish I'd known. So can i give you a summary, right? So I wish I had of uh, really understood exactly what I used to mean by crawl, walk, run. So I always think about how you get a product to market is crawl, walk, run, and crawl is to define, design, build, and test it. Uh, the walk is to getting the pricing right, getting the market right, getting the collaterals right, getting the first clients right, getting the case studies right, and then run and scale. So I, I wish I had to kind of really understood that so you used to talk about it a lot. It wasn't until I started to do it that I really understood what it or I started to understand what I really meant by what I was actually always saying and believed because when you're doing it for yourself is very different when you're doing it for a big company. The the kinda uh, contractual side, I wish I had of, um, I wish I had got the pricing right. Earlier, we kind of were so excited about building a great product that we had a vision on. We didn't really charge for it. So the first couple of clients we had, when they said how much, we were like, oh my gosh, yeah, I never thought of that. So, you know, I would urge anyone to make sure you get your pricing right, your collaterals, your commercials right, your contracts right. And, and I wish, you know, I wish I, I, wish I had have known how long it was going to take, you know, because I believed that I could have done what I've done in five and a half years and three. And I set a lot of expectation to myself and everyone in the company that we could do this in three years and it really took five so i wish i had have known that it was going to take longer so you know a piece of advice to anyone is it's always going to take longer it's going to cost you more than you thought it's going to cost and you always underachieve where you thought you think you're going to be in five years but you start to overachieve after five years
0: and what would you like to be doing in 10 years time
1: i'll be retired <laughs> i I'll, I'll, I'll be yeah Hopefully I'll be um, well. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I've been flippant, right? But I would like to. I would like to be kind of retired from day to day being a CEO. Uh, I want to be heavily involved in the startup community. I love helping companies start. I've not just done Cortex. I've done two other companies, uh, three other companies actually. I've helped with. So we helped with two big years that sold to Facebook. I helped with an Almighty, that's now down in London. Uh, that's just raised a lot of money, and then another company um, called. Uh, player data which is really cool kind of suit type wearing a suit company and so i've kind of helped these companies start and i really enjoy that i like the kind of innovation and the kind of the the startup phase Uh, i'm on a few boards I like being on the board, someone like kind of, I'm the only non-civil servant on the Digital Transformation Board for Scottish Government. You know, I, it's something new for me. I've not really been involved in government um, at all. So I quite like seeing how they work. So I, I just want to, i 10 years time, I, I want to hope I'm still <laughs> fit and healthy. Uh, two, um, I want to, you know, I'd like to help other people benefit from the things I've learned. Because, you know, if you think about your career and I said this already, it's in three, three phases, it's kind of learn as much, earn as much, leverage as much. And I would like to help other people leverage, you know, all the stuff that I've learned. And when I say earn, it's not just money, it's about wealth of knowledge, etc. So, you know, just give people access to my network and help them be successful.
0: Well, thank you, Peter, for your time today and for sharing some great insights on innovation and the unique way that you set up your business. So thank you very much. Thank you. Next week, our guest is digital Entrepreneur Ray Bug.
1: In business, a lot of people think they have to put their arm around what they do. At Digit, we've always been about sharing. We've been very, very open source with what it is we do. We've involved a lot of people in our products.
0: Thank you for listening. And don't forget to visit jpimedialocal.co.uk or call 0207 0849134 to speak to a local marketing expert about how your business can make lasting connections with thousands of potential customers. You can download Pioneering People wherever you listen to your podcasts. But for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entel app for iOS and Android. If you like what you heard, please rate and review Pioneering People and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media, on Twitter where we are at LaudablePods, and Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts.